that's kind of where I come in to, you know, help people kind of do that cost payoff analysis and bring more awareness to kind of often these unconscious subconscious forces that have been driving them uh, make sense and reconcile them so we can kind of find new ways to forge forward that um, you know aren't really driven by the motivation to get us out of pain but are more organized around what we're inspired to move towards Welcome to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by my man, Audley Stevenson, the odd man. He'll unpack wisdom and insights from a cross-section of top quality performers in business, media, sports, entertainment, and lifestyle to uncover key elements to help you live your best audacious life ever. So without further ado, here is the odd man. Greetings and salutations, folks. It's Audley Stevenson back for another edition of the most audacious podcast the internet has to offer. This is the Audacious Living Podcast, and I appreciate you for being here as we continue our ongoing goal of helping our listeners live their best audacious lives ever. As always, I encourage you to connect with us on our social media channels. Uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the handle The Audacious Pod. And if you are watching on YouTube, or you could head over to YouTube and you can subscribe to our channel by hitting that bell down below. Ding, ding, ding. And that way you're connected to all good things audacious related. Now we'll be talking about trauma on this edition of the Audacious Living Podcast. We'll specifically discuss how unresolved trauma that's been left to fester can have a negative impact on our overall physical health and well-being. You know, the psychological and physical responses that it triggers can make us susceptible to to severe health conditions, including uh, stroke, heart attack, weight problems, diabetes, and cancer. Look, Everyone carries unprocessed emotions from experiences to some degree. However, emotions that aren't dealt with don't just go away. You know, they can affect the way you think about yourself, how you react to stress, as I mentioned, your physical well-being, and your relationship with others. Now, Greg Whiting is a healer, and he helps leaders and entrepreneurs heal anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and trauma so they can lead bold and courageous lives. Now, uh, you know, we have a great deal to, to chat about when we talk about the impacts of unresolved trauma and how it can be a gift when we embrace the path of healing. Greg offers up some fascinating insights and I think it's really appropriate this time to turn the conversation over to him. So without any further ado, here's my chat with Greg Whiting. Enjoy. Hey, Greg, thank you for joining us here on the Audacious Living Podcast. It's such a pleasure to uh, spend some time with you today. Really good to be here, Albie. Thanks for having me. This is this is good. I mean, we, we spent a lot of time on this podcast, you know, just talking about all the wonderful things life can present to us, uh, provided that we demonstrate some uh, initiative on our own and demonstrate this audaciousness that we talk about here and be a little bold and go after the things that we want. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, the world's an oyster after that. Uh, but I think an important part, and this ties into with your work, is that when you've got uh, uh, areas of, of improvement or healing 
or unresolved trauma, that's going to prevent you from doing the great things that we want to do. And so I think having you here uh, is, 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 is perfect fit. And maybe perhaps we could sort of start our conversation just talking about the work you do, uh, especially the healing work you do, because I think that's relevant to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I work with helping folks kind of unravel, address, and heal the trauma patterns that are often underlying anxiety, depression, chronic pain, burnout, emptiness, overwhelm. You know, I work with a lot of people who are made of purpose, but they're lacking fulfillment, right? right. Their, their nervous system is on overdrive. Um, so it's like this trauma response has often been driving a lot of success. So there's a payoff, and right. until a certain point where there's going to become more of a cost. And gotcha. so that's kind of where I come in to, you know, help people kind of do that cost payoff analysis and bring more awareness to kind of often these unconscious subconscious forces that have been driving them, uh, make sense and reconcile them. So we can kind of find new ways to forge forward that, um, you know, aren't really driven by, the motivation to get us out of pain, but are more organized around what we're inspired to move towards, right? And I think both are useful, right? But I feel like motivation away from pain is good for the sprint and right. inspiration to move towards aspiration and goals is, you know, much more enduring and long lasting for the marathon. And right. how do we balance that? And how do right. we understand all the forces at play? Right, right, right. Well, what I find interesting is is the most successful people, or at least how we perceive to be successful, whether their career, life, relationships, whatever, are they're 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 going through some form of trauma or unresolved trauma. But on the surface, you wouldn't necessarily even see that or suspect that, right? Yeah, I mean, how how much of our survival depends on masks and costumes that we mm. have often kind of put on in early development without even an awareness of that, right? So in early development, if we're not getting our needs met in a consistent way, if we don't have a safe environment that allows us to feel at home within ourselves, we're going to start to hide parts of ourselves. We're going to start to perform parts of ourselves. And I'd say this happens even in the healthiest of upbringings, right? We're right. just receiving subconscious information that maybe it's not okay to be who we are or, you know, in order to get this or that. Uh, and again, in early development, getting our needs met can literally signal life or death, right? right, right. And costumes and masks become survival strategies that again, they maybe get us to where we're at, um, but are they going to, are they going to sustain us? And gotcha. so, yeah, that's that's a big piece. And I think fortunately, especially in the world of celebrity, I think there's a lot more awareness these days around mental health and a right. lot more people who are willing to kind of drop the mask, drop the facade and, you know, speak into, you know, the, the pain that's been a driving force. And, and that's bringing more awareness to then new solutions. Right. right, right. So. And that's a big thing, too. I'd say, you know, a lot of people look at the world and say the world is falling apart right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet I see the gift in kind of this wound and this scabbing and this scarring that's just, you know, we, you can't not see it, but we've, we've got to see it to heal it. So if this were all just still kind of living, you know, in the shadows, um, 
it, we wouldn't have as much of an opportunity to, to support healing, um, both on the individual and the collective level. Right, right. You know, as you as you as you talk about masks, I mean, one of the things there's also all sorts of hazards when it comes to masks and and wearing these masks. But the one that really stands out for me is a loss of identity. Right. Uh, you, you potentially can be wearing this mask your entire life. And then there are people that do that, that go through their whole life and their adulthood and, and wearing this facade, uh, but not having any clear indication of who they truly are or what drives them or what motivates them. And I wonder if you can sort of t- touch on that, that loss of identity, because I think for, for a lot of people, that's a huge one. Yeah. Well, and I think the the mask becomes the identity and so you know i'm thinking of one client in recent years who that mask was starting to fall away they're a very highly successful entrepreneur and they're like wait wait a second like am i going to be able to continue to perform without that mask i i don't know that feels very threatening to me i i security blanket right it's a security blanket well it's like well who the hell am i if i don't have that right is that more authentic expression of me? Does that that does that authentic expression of me have what it takes to get through the world, right? And so we took a pause in our work together. They weren't sure if they wanted to continue because they're like, I, I don't know what's on the other side, right? <laughs> right? And, you know, so there can be kind of a destabilizing phase in healing where it's like the, the, old, the old masks are falling away but we need to take take time to kind of build some new scaffolding, right? To build some new frameworks, to build some new templates. And the repair happens when we realize, oh, actually I was able to like, you know, perform on the job, whatever it may be without defaulting to that old mask. And it worked out. Right. Not only did it work out, but I was able to sleep through the night um, and I was able to, you know, have an easy, you know, digestion the next day. And I actually felt really nourished and full in my relationships. You know, I just felt more like myself. Um, But, you know, there's, it it takes time to get there, right? So there's going to be some of that tension, but that tension, you know, I I talk about the idea of tensegrity, which is like a a term first coined in architecture, like the tension that holds a bridge together, right? Okay. Okay. So, you know, because I think we're taught that stress is unhealthy, which I'd say that stress is a big factor in in our lives that could hurt and harm us. But when we learn how to orient to that stress and that tension from a vantage point, it could actually be what holds us together. Right. There's a healthy tension, a healthy way to orient to stress. And so stress isn't the problem it's how we relate to the stress yes yeah our, our response right well how you know what when, when stress arrives what do we do and th- that's what we were taught what you were talking about is how we respond to react to it and so many of our beliefs and our behaviors yeah uh, get really fixed around this idea of who we are and so a lot of healing is is challenging that and reframing it and and trying taking action but from a different place within ourselves um so yeah there's a bit of a pause i feel like a lot of healing is taking a pause so we don't rush over the parts of experience that we have historically you know ignored so we can start to make sense of some of those parts of our lived experience and then they we don't have to default to them as the driving forces because we have a little more distance and then we can gather some data points and some awareness around sure. our and then choose something else. 
Right, right. The analyzation piece is so important, right? And and, and obviously there's some self-awareness that's needed. And but once you have that, you can actually, as you said, choose and make those appropriate decisions that are best for us, really. So and you know, and the mind is still likely to default to some of those patterns, but the yes. awareness is like, oh wait, like, oh yeah, I was about to have that knee-jerk response, but now I'm gonna choose this. Or I did follow the impulse of the knee-jerk response, but I have a little more understanding that that had more of a cost than a payoff this time. Yes, yes. So next time I have more of an awareness that this might be a better choice. Right, right. And we start to broaden our window of tolerance. So we stay, we have more access to our upper brain and we're not defaulting to just the survival brain, yes. which then continues to inch us into, yeah, finding more empowered alignment and yes. being less risk averse, which then allows us, yeah, to feel more bold and audacious and to expand the aperture of possibility. Yes. And, you know, so much mind training is reorienting from pain to possibility. Right. Uh, and, and that's, that's no easy task, but the more we do it, the more it gains momentum and speed, yes. and then yes. the more it becomes ingrained as part of our flow state. Yes. Yeah. Is it, and that just becomes just how we operate, right? That's just what we do kind of a thing. And you talk about the default behaviors, oftentimes, you know, th those are patterns that were established an entire lifetime. And so, you know, every so often we might slip back, if you will. But again, we talk about the awareness, that awareness of, oh, yeah, I did that. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'll do better next time. And I think that's really all you can ask of ourselves. Well, and a big piece of that is normalizing it, right? As humans, we have a nervous system, a body and a brain that are trying to protect us. And so yes. we are going to sometimes scan and perceive something as dangerous, even though it's not based on something maybe historical that's still living inside of us. You know, so I want to normalize that we're still going to flip our lid and default to that survival brain from time to time. But the recovery time becomes, you know, there's, there's more ease in the recovery time. We recover more quickly and there's less shame or judgment organized around it because we start to realize that part of being human is actually making mistakes that and that doesn't make us bad or wrong. It actually makes us human. And that's how we learn and grow. So the growth mindset, the possibility consciousness is actually welcoming that, right? Yeah. Welcoming the messiness of our humanity instead of fighting against it. And when we embrace that, then each contraction can become more of a springboard to our expansion. Right, right, right. Absolutely love that. Uh, something else that I love when you, you know, we were, we were corresponding, you, you actually made a note of it because I really appreciate it. You said uh, you help leaders mine the goal of unresolved trauma to heal the anxiety. Um, the gold of unresolved trauma. Um, you know, most people going through trauma don't see, <laughs> see any gold inside there. They, they see entirely different. I wonder if you can expand on that. I think it's a great, great line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I agree. I want to honor when we're in a place of being at the effect of our trauma that we may not see any wisdom or gift in that <laughs> we don't want to see it right i want to i want to honor that you know some people may hear that and be like what you're you know that's 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 not possible um and but that's the work right because we want to we want to help derive meaning and significance from life experience um you know 
I think it was Maya Angelou that said something along the lines of, um, or maybe Toni Morrison, I'm, I'm confusing it right now, but just, you know, we, we ban, we like these incomprehensible, inconceivable experiences to the subconscious, right? But there's a power in speaking the unspeakable, right? Mm. But we don't always have the nervous system capacity or the bandwidth to do that. So healing is helping us build a robust relationship with ourselves, having the tools and frameworks that right. we can that we can articulate even the most grotesque, you know, troublesome, adverse experiences of our lives. And that's where there can be a reclaiming of our power, right? So what might have been something that was humiliating could actually give rise to like our greatest dignity, right? And the experience that emboldened the most terror can actually help us realize the greatest courage. And, and I think that's the path of healing. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, we see the anxiety and the depression that are rooted in trauma and we're just treating, you know, the symptom without looking at the trauma. So a lot of people are kind of bought and sold on the idea that, Oh, you have a chemical imbalance. Let's treat the chemical imbalance in your brain. And is anyone taking a few steps back and saying, wait a minute, like, why do you have a chemical imbalance? Right. Not a good and, right. Because yeah. if we heal trauma, you know, the trauma imprints itself in the body. So then all the subconscious beliefs and behaviors are literally stored in the tissues and the cells. So that's creating stagnation. That's creating inflammation. That's compromising immune, in, immune function right? That's creating the brain fog. That's creating all sorts of imbalances with the hormones and the neurotransmitters. When we start to heal the trauma, all of that starts to repattern and heal as well. And I'll tell you what, a lot of that chemical imbalance, you know, that brain chemistry is going to sort itself out too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, And look, there's no one right way to heal. And Mm -hmm. so I have some clients that are still dependent upon antidepressants, pain meds, anti-anxiety meds to each their own. Because some of us, we reach this part of our healing later in life that we've still grown a dependence and need to lean on those tools. Um, But I've seen, I can't tell you how many clients I've seen either reduce or eliminate their dependence on these drugs once they've addressed the underlying trauma patterns. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. I'm all right. for integrative approach. Like my goal with my clients and students is for you just to live your best life on your terms. Yes. And so if that means you're kind of working from both ends, um, you know, and I've had some clients that say, I'm really happy with, you know, my meds and that's great. Like I don't have a yep. say in that. that's between right. my clients and their medical, yep. you know, their healthcare providers. Yep. But over time I have that, uh, that same client say, actually, I'm a, I'm a different person today than I was when I met you. Um, and actually my, I don't, I don't need what I used to need. Right. And so, um, yeah, so the body has a remarkable capacity to heal when it's given the right, you know, conditions. Gotcha. Uh, and that's a powerful thing. 
Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could sort of talk about, uh, and you sort of touched on a little bit about the impact of trauma on our body. And I think for a lot of people, and, I, I, and I'll even for myself, um, it's only very recently that I started to recognize the impact of unresolved trauma and how the impacts can have on our body physically. And you talked about inflammation and, you know, the our autoimmune system and things, how it can be impacted. What if you sort of expand a bit further, just because I, I think, I, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it's, it's, it's a fairly new sort of development the last few years. Um, well, I mean, what I've developed Prisma, I've been <clears throat> slowly piecing together trauma, neuroscience, energy medicine, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, somatic and mindfulness-based practices over my work over the last 20 years. But I've been mm-hmm. drawing, you know, but those tools and wisdoms have been around for some time. I think there's just, you know, an evolution in understanding and a greater accessibility of these tools and gotcha. um, the more acknowledgement and recognition. So, you know, they're, they're finding their way, you know, energy medicine is in hospitals now and oncology units, you know, and, you know, there's, you know, studies with um, veterans who were not able to sleep because of PTSD, who then when they receive Reiki and energy medicine are sleeping. Right. Right. Um, And so it's, you know, the nervous system. I like the imagery of a seaplane that, you know, it lands on water, but then it bounces back up it lands, bounces back up. It takes okay. a while for the seaplane to finally settle. Yes. Right. And that's the kind of the same thing with the nervous system. We have to train the nervous system just to, just to, to land. Um, but once we develop that capacity, it's easier for us to land and, you know, we don't have to bounce up as high or as often. Right. Um, so we're finding a new baseline of that nervous system regulation. Um, you know, this connection, you know, just as an imagery, like I'm thinking, you know, trauma is going to imprint upon us that we're isolated, we're alone, that we're in danger, you know, so it's keeping us in this state of hypervigilance. And if I to use that as a metaphor, then life can start to taste pretty bitter, right? Okay. Um, You know, well, the body is a metaphor. If we are living in this bitterness, it's really making it hard for us to access the sweetness of life. Okay. Um, well then look at all the people with, you know, out of control blood sugar levels, right? So these, these things are related, right? So if we learn to develop a capacity to enjoy the sweetness of life, you know, and granted, we are going to want to do some lifestyle things as well. You know, I, you know, we can, find a new and emotional balance, but that's going to then inform kind of a new lifestyle balance. But when we can start to reclaim a sweetness for life, then our blood sugars are going to sort themselves out, Mm. right? We're not going to have, you know, so all of these pieces are related. Um, And the body has a a remarkable way of, of recalibrating. You know, I talk about the the term innate wisdom, which was developed by a chiropractor, but it's, it's the healing mechanism that will heal a paper cup. And that wisdom will send platelets and proteins and orchestrate all these biochemical transmissions. Yes. But it does that while we're sleeping. It does that while we're having this conversation. It does that while I'm at the gym, while I'm at work. I don't have to think about it, right? So healing is just putting us back in touch with that innate wisdom. But because of stress, because of trauma, you know, because of all of the overwhelm in the world, we've just lost connection to that innate wisdom, right? So Mm -hmm. then instead of listening to symptoms as they start to creep up, we don't even start to pay attention until they're screaming and hitting us 
the head. And <laughs> at that point, then, you know, a, a, a more, um, you know, a, a greater intervention may be necessary because yes. we lost touch with these original signals when we can then perhaps intervene, start to tune in and listen and respond. Right, right. Uh, it's funny, as you sort of talked about, you know, the, 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 they start off, the signal is very small and they get, it gets louder and louder and louder until it is like a boulder hitting us to the side of the head, like pay attention here was what's, what's happening to yourself. Um, I think though, and I've seen situations where people who still, it, they, they, they don't take action because they don't know what to do. Um, they don't know where to turn or perhaps not even coming to terms with what's really happening to them. There's all sorts of reasons because, because, you know, the, the, the trauma appears is different for everyone. We're not all the same. And, and the heal the process of healing is also therefore different for everyone as well. Um, uh, what's sort of a, a starting point for you when you start with a client? So, Hey, I come into your door. Hey, Greg, what's going on? I, I'm feeling this in my, in, in my, you know, I'm feeling this disruption in my world or things I'm, I'm off center. I don't feel right. Is, is it in that exploration stage right away and sort of figure out what it is or what does that look like as a starting point? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So how I'm working with my clients and students is non-diagnostic. It's non-prescriptive. Uh, I'm not giving them advice so much as we're just helping them get more in touch with their innate wisdom. So their ability to heal comes back online. And so I love the imagery of like a symphony orchestra. Right. So if our body, mind, and spirit is a symphony orchestra, all the muscles, all the tissues, all the organs, the endocrines, the hormones, the neurotransmitters, including our beliefs and our emotions are all players in that symphony. And right. when we're experiencing health, all of those different parts are in tune with one another. And right. so we're making sweet music and there is a harmonic resonance. And then trauma comes in, stress comes in, it short circuits the nervous system right. and the communication and the resonance between all these different parts starts to break up and we start to make a lot of noise. So instead of me treating the symptom, the anxiety, and I'm not, even though I help people heal trauma, I'm actually not focused on healing the trauma. Mm -hmm. I'm just working on restoring the communication that has been short-circuited because of the trauma. Right. And when you restore that communication, all the different parts start working together and remembering they're on the same team. I know you kind of, you're in the world of sports. So it's like just making sure all the, the players are like, oh, we're on the same team. Like yes. we are here to work together, yes. right? Um, and so then when every part remembers that it's on the same team, that just creates a, a greater organizational intelligence that allows the system to do what it's meant to do. Right. Right. You know, just like a tree knows how to be a tree, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the heart knows how to be the heart. The liver knows how to be a liver, but then the whole body, mind, spirit knows how the heart and liver get to be in relationship to one another. So we're just helping the body remember that. And that's a, a pretty cool thing. Cause once, once that starts to happen, it has a cascading effect where, right. you know, I had a client who, you know, had a really traumatic incident with a family member and they said, you know, and, you know, they named that in our first, you know, onboarding call, but then our work together, you know, we, we're not talking about the trauma. We're not talking about the hard stuff directly. We're just helping restore this communication. So the innate wisdom, again, like just helps to reorient to it differently. So then one day they came back and they said, you know, 
I was thinking about that family member just spontaneously while I was doing the dishes. And I just have a whole new relationship to them, you know, just mm. this energy flooded through them and they're just not holding the same energetic or emotional charge. Right. We didn't have to like process it intellectually. You know, we didn't have to talk yep. it out. Her body's wisdom sorted it out on its own. So I often talk about like, Hey, don't, you can even forget that we work together today. Just go live your life. But your body's innate wisdom that heals the paper cut without you thinking about it is going to continue to augment your relationship to all these hard imprints in your life. And then you can just focus on living your life instead of fighting against the past. Right, 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 right. Well, and, and you know, that, that past can be brutal, right? <laughs> that past can have a way of, you know, resurfacing every so often if we let it. And so um, I, I think there's great value in, in, in going through that healing journey. I, I, I got to ask, what, what, what got you on this path of healing and, be, and wanting to help people get past their, their past trauma? Where, where, how did you land on all this? Yeah, this I mean my own my own journey. I used to suffer with anxiety, depression, chronic pain. Um, I stand three inches taller today than I did 25 years ago. So all of my trauma that was held in my body was literally, you know, the posturing of that wounding had a real life physical impact on my system. Right. So, you know, I was again, I, like to your point earlier, we sometimes just don't know where to get started, right? So I was steps away from antidepressants and pain meds. I thought that that was my journey, you know, right. in, this, in, you know, college and in my early 20s, right after college, I met a friend who um, actually offered me a massage. And I was living in so much chronic pain that I did not want to massage, like physical touch. No, that's going to hurt me more right. than help me. Um, she said, well, what about some energy medicine? We can work more on your subtle energy body, which I had never heard those words before. I was like, what? <laughs> like that was completely foreign to me, but you know, I had such a trust in her, um, that I was like, of course, let's give it a try. Right. Um, and I realized I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. Um, you know, I was just able to take a deep exhale and a deep release and, you know, just feel held and supported in a way I never had before. You know, earlier in life, I would go see lots of other uh, types of healthcare professionals, but they were trying to like manipulate my body and force it into some position. And it just was like, it felt violent. It felt forceful. It was like, wait, do you supposed to help me? <laughs> yeah. Like you think, you know, what's right for my body. You're trying to put my body into a certain place, right. but you know, my body's being held in this place by some fierce survival strategies organized around pain. We have to address that. And when we address that, then how the body is held will repattern because if it's no longer being held by pain, then it can reorganize and restructure itself. And so not that I figured all of that out in that first session with energy medicine, but I did, I did know that, wow, I'm getting a taste of something I didn't even know existed and mm. I want more. So within a year, I started to study Reiki. And from there, that led me to India where I studied meditation. From there, I came back and dive deeper into energy medicine, dive deeper into yoga and Ayurveda. And then that led me years later to trauma and neuroscience. And along the way, I started to teach what I was learning um, and share it with others. 
And then in the last five years or so, began to kind of reverse engineer everything I had been teaching already and kind of put it into a system that just makes sense, that's accessible, that's practical, that's relevant. And as much as there is something pretty remarkable about this work, my job is to demystify it as much as possible um, and help people tap into that wisdom on their own terms. So that's, yeah, that was journey. Origin story, if you will. Well, I, I, I like I like very much that you call it a journey and refer to it as such because I, I I believe that's exactly what we're talking about. We are on this journey that we go through, and you know, we, my journey and your journey won't be identical. There might be some similarities. You might make the same pit stop somewhere along the way, well, along the way, but it's still my own individual pathway that I take. And so, uh, you know, you, yours informs the work that you do. Um, the interesting thing with with trauma, I think very similar is that, you know, if we're, if we're operating from a place of trauma, that will also influence the decisions that we make sometimes. And, and sometimes we'll make decisions that may not be clear, no, may, <laughs> people may not understand fully, but it's because of this place that where we're at. And so I think it's really important to even to recognize that, hey, you know, it, it, yes, it can have an impact on our physical selves, but it can also, you know, overall choices as well. Yeah. And I mean, as my spine unraveling three inches, that wasn't just a physical phenomenon. That Mm. was me disarming the protective strategies that were my behaviors and my beliefs and my mindset. Right. Right. And all of that was happening simultaneously. Right. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, people talk about the the root cause and I talk about causative, you know, factors. There's no one root cause. There's many different factors that are at play. So our symptoms are the tip of the iceberg. And most of what healing and energy medicine addresses is the underbelly of that iceberg, which is a lot larger. And there's a lot of different pieces that play there and how we bring more awareness to Um, reconcile those pieces, you know, is a path of discovery and growth that brings us into more wholeness. That wholeness brings us more in alignment with that innate wisdom. And then, yeah, we, we develop a greater trust within ourselves and within the world, right? So then instead of thinking our way and strategizing our way through life, we just get to live life, right? Um, Not to say that there's not planning and foresight, but there's also a, a spontaneity, which is just, you know, following the impulse of, you know, yeah. our, our creativity, our wisdom, right? Um, and so that's, th- there's so much freedom that comes from that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And just, yeah, just, I think freedom is a great word because you can just operate naturally, not having to second guess, not have to think it over, not having to question yourself. Um, you know, the, the, the imposter syndrome for a lot of people are big because they're like, uh, you know, they, they question, should I be here? And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you're able to develop that confidence in yourself, Greg, that, you know, this is where I am. I belong here and there's no need to question that. And so I think, um, you know, when we're free of our mind, that's a great, great, great place to be. Um, you do a lot of work with leaders, right? Uh, and, and helping them get into that place where they, they can lead better. Um, how is your, your, your messages, how, how is that being received? Or how, uh, is, is, is there an appreciation of, of kind of what you bring to the table? Or is there some work that needs to be done uh, to get people to become believers? Or what does that look like? Yeah. 
Uh, well, first off, I, I don't make any effort in trying to make anyone a believer, okay. right? Okay. Like that's, that's just not a good use of my time or my energy. Yep. Uh, there's plenty of people who realize that they want support, that they want to break through upper limits, that they want to expand the aperture of possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're coming to this work for that. Or the folks that are coming to me because they're really feeling the cost of the of the trauma, the anxiety and the depression, right? So sometimes the pain is bringing them in the door or the possibility of what they really want to live into. And often it's, it's a bit of both. Um, and they've tried, you know, one of my clients is like, you know, I read every book from every thought leader about leadership, about organization, um, and nothing really worked until they found a, a, a deeper healing practice to come to know themselves, right? right so, right. so much of leadership, I think, is an inside game. And that inside game is deriving a greater sense of presence. Um, and when we become present, then we can, you know, just lead as ourselves. Right. Um, and again, we may still be wearing the hat of leader. So, we still may have a role that we're playing, but we know that we are not that role. So can we navigate the tension of playing a role while not forgetting who we are? Um, and, you know, a lot of that then helps us not lead from a trauma response, right? And for me, you know, that's another part of my story. In early, early on in my career, I was more working in the nonprofit world and okay. I was leading team of up to 25 people. And mm -hmm. then I was leading community organizers and activists. So, you know, I was in this leadership role, but, you know, I had lost myself, you know, the anxiety, the burnout, the overwhelm, the emptiness, it, yes. you know, and we had really great wins, you know, but I wasn't able to celebrate the wins because I lost myself. Right? right. And, you know, I was more my leadership was more being driven from these, this place of survival within myself, yes, yes. which, you know, wasn't making anybody happy. Right. And so, um, yeah. So my work with leaders is, you know, can we use our platform as leaders to be a healing force for good and uh, rather than perpetuate cycles of harm, you know, create a new baseline, right? What if to be wow. a leader is to regulate the collective nervous system, to create psychological safety and trust, yes. right? To attune to the emotional climate, right? To help support others in their humanity. So that helps to bring out, you know, what is true for each individual on the team. So people can just be themselves, right? Reclaiming that wholeness and that humanity in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, and just giving people the tool, you know, we, this is like basic education that we right. should receive <laughs> in school, in school right? yeah, it agrees right? like how to human, how to do life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, you know, many of us don't start to learn these tools until we've, you know, are either in severe pain or have had, you know, a terrible crisis, yes. you know, there's some, some of some wise folks who start to develop these tools earlier than that. Um, and so, yeah, what if we can mainstream healing, right. And bring this into, you know, the workplace, into prisons, into schools, sure. into government organizations. A, a big part of that is, when we're talking about mainstreaming is, is normalizing the fact that, you know, healing needs to happen. Uh, but to do that, sometimes people need to acknowledge the pain that exists or acknowledge the trauma that's in their lives and, 
that's that that sometimes as you probably would know isn't isn't the easiest step for people to get to that point but i agree there would be value if we could normalize and make it mainstream for sure yeah and i want to honor that too right like i very much am you know i work through a trauma-informed lens and that means meeting people where they're at right and so some people aren't ready to you know oh you know and i look at all of this wounding as kind of the check engine light and not everyone's ready to open up the hood and look inside yeah and so also honoring that and creating space for that um but yeah a, a space for new dialogue and then a space to know that hey when you're ready to look under the hood you know, there's a garage over here with all the right tools and a flashlight yes. and, yes. you know, a, a, a co-pilot or, you know, a mechanic to dive in with you. Right, right. That's the opposite analogy I want to use in healing, because I do think, you know, a lot of our approach to healthcare today is kind of this mechanization of the body, right? If you have a, if you have a bad kidney, let's treat the kidney as if it's just, you know, one part of a, a machine, right? Yes. Where- healing is looking at the kidney in relationship to the whole. So, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Right. This has been such, such an awesome chat. Uh, I, you know, this deep dive into trauma and understanding it better. So I appreciate your, uh, the insights that you brought forth and really uh, uh, opening up the, the understanding a bit more. I, you know, trauma is one of those things that, you know, everyone understands and can relate to it. Uh, but I don't know if it's widely dialogued in the manner it should be. Uh, because I think if you can have those open dialogues about the impacts of trauma, I think that's a step closer to healing collectively. So uh, I really appreciate the insights that you brought forth. Um, uh, and, and again, just going back to the opening comments, just respects to uh, being able to address uh, and well, first of all, acknowledge the trauma that or the things that are holding us back uh, from living the audacious life that we talk about and, and, and doing the bold things that we should do. And sometimes, and I think it's funny because sometimes people sort of think that when I, when I, when I talk about being bold, audacious, it's be, these big grandiose things that you're doing and you're skydiving or you're mountain climbing or something big. And it's not that at all. It's just being who you are supposed to be. And if there's things that are preventing that from happening, then that's what we need to address. And I think that's why this, this dialogue was absolutely perfect. So thank you for that. Yeah, my my pleasure. And yeah, just to, to sum that up, I mean, I and I think of healing, a lot of people come to healing because they have an idea that perhaps something is broken that needs to be fixed or that they need to become somebody. And healing is just developing the capacity to be ourselves, right? So it's just a remembrance um, and it's just coming back to that, which is essential, right? Yeah. So, um, and, you know, that that's pretty extraordinary to just drop into who we are. And um, because, yeah, I think the world has, has us set up to be on this path of becoming something, becoming somebody, and it's really pattern interrupting that. And I think that's when we can do some pretty amazing things in the world, but it's coming from more of an intrinsic place and less extrinsically motivated. Got you. Got you. This is awesome. So Greg, for our listeners who want to learn more about you and the work that you do, where can we send them? Yeah. Prismamethod.com is where folks can kind of access my online course and community. That's a trauma and neuroscience roadmap and somatic and mindfulness-based practices and a whole energy medicine foundation training. Um, Greg Whiting, W-I-E-T-I-N-G.com is also where folks can learn more about my work. Uh, I also work with folks one-on-one. Um, so, and uh, Greg underscore Whiting on Instagram. Very cool. Very cool. 
Right. Like I said, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you again for your insights and, and all the best. Thanks, Alvin. Back at you. All right. Back, we are here on the podcast. I really want to send out my thanks and appreciation to Greg for, for being here and leaving us with such valuable insights as we explore trauma and the trauma responses that, that happen within our body. Uh, and, and, and again, specifically why it's so important for us to deal with our past stuff and not let them linger because there are long-term impacts. You know, I loved his point about us deriving meaning and significance from life experiences. And I believe that we're doing ourselves a true disservice by not taking the lessons and learning learnings from unresolved trauma. So Greg, I, I once again express my gratitude and appreciation for you being here. Uh, for our listeners, for more information on Greg and his work, I encourage you to check out his website at prismamethod.com. And of course, the show notes will have the more, more details around that as well. Uh, you know, when I, when I think back to my conversation with Greg, he really left us with a lot of fantastic points. But if there's just one thing that I would take from my chat with him, it would be this. Each and every single one of us can probably dig up a story from our past in which we experienced some form of tragedy or misfortune that's left a mark or impact on us in some way. From serious illnesses to tragic events, everyone accumulates their share of sad or crazy stories to tell. But that doesn't mean we need to carry the weight of those events on our shoulders as we move forward in life, especially since we know that trauma can have physical consequences on our bodies. We each have a choice over how we react to the not so great things that inevitably arise and upset our worlds now and again. Letting go of the past, when we let letting go of the past, can be challenging. Uh, events that people found difficult can have a significant influence on their daily life, from their beliefs to the decisions that they make. However, there are ways to address the lingering effects of past experiences. This may involve practicing self-compassion, uh, trying mindfulness as a way of focusing on the present moment, or, or seeking therapy to explore unresolved feelings. In fact, if we learn how to, we can actually bundle up these awful experiences and turn them into audacious gifts. Hey, listen, if you haven't registered for email notifications of the podcast, please know that you can do so simply by heading over to bestaudaciouslife.com and all you've got to do is enter in your email address and you'll be alerted every time we've got brand new content that comes out. We've sadly reached the end of another episode of the Audacious Living Podcast. And as always, I send my thanks and appreciation to all those lovers of audaciousness for their ongoing and tremendous support. It's so much appreciated. And I, I thank you very much for riding with us and being a part of this audacious journey. Uh, if you are checking out the podcast on your, your maybe your favorite listening pod, podcast platform, I would encourage you to uh, give us a rating. Now, hey, five stars are great, but hey, it's totally up to you. But Certainly a rating and a comment would be very much appreciated. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, show love to one another, and be audacious. You've been listening to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by Audley Stevenson. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, be audacious.